0: Welcome to Making a Scene, an Esplanade podcast about how art gets made. I'm Teresa Ruth Howard, your host for this episode. Before we jump in, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. In this iteration, I am a curator and founder for Ma Ballet, Memoirs of Blacks in Valley, which is a digital platform that curates the contributions of Blacks in ballet internationally. I also work as an international diversity strategist and advocate for increasing the presence of Blacks in ballet and people of color in ballet. And I also work to reform, if we say, the culture of ballet so that it's healthy and positive for everyone involved. Today, it is my pleasure to bring an episode with three incredible people. They've built up massive followings on social media with their original content about ballet. Their profiles have been lively platforms for self-expression that give audiences a closer look at how the work of dance and professional ballet dancers is, whether on stage or off. It's my pleasure to introduce Shelby Williams, who's also known as the Biscuit Ballerina, who's a soloist for Royal Flander, Ballet of Flanders. Harper Waters, a Houston ballet soloist, also known for his heels choreography on that treadmill. And backstage web series, The Pre-Show. And finally, Min Tan, who is a dancewear designer and meme creator based in Singapore. Thank you for being with us today. Let's just talk about this medium of social media and how it's actually changed ballet as we know it, and maybe even your lives as we know it. So let's, Shabu, let's start with you and just talk about how you chose your social media persona. How did that come about?
1: So I was never really big into social media before Biscuit Ballerina. I was someone who came very late to Instagram compared to my friends. And it was kind of by chance. I never sought out to build a following on social media. I had a colleague record me kind of doing my typical satirical, self-deprecating humor in the studio one day, and she shared it on her Instagram account. And she's much more famous than I am. And so... It got a lot of views very quickly, and then I thought, oh, okay, so my coping mechanism for the stress of this career is maybe something that resonates with more people than I realized. So I thought, oh, I'll make a a little account on Instagram, and I'll call it Biscuit Ballerina because something I was always picked on or I picked on myself for in my training and then in my career was the fact that my feet were never gonna be good enough. Like no matter how much I stretch them, they are what they are. And so I kind of made biscuits my strong word that it became my word. <laughs> and so then I thought, oh, it's got a nice rhyme to it. I'm gonna go with biscuit ballerina. And that's kind of how biscuit ballerina came to be, was just- It was organic and
0: it's not, it's actually just you. Yeah. It's there not was zero, actually a
1: persona. Zero strategy to it whatsoever. Did not understand how hashtags worked when I started it. And that's why I had all these ridiculous hashtags because they didn't make sense to me. And then little did I understand that when I like being sarcastic used all the typical hashtags of like likes for likes and ballerina life and all these things that it actually drew attention from these other people. I didn't, I was like wondering where are all these people coming from? How are they finding my account? But then I learned how a hashtag works.
0: That's incredible. Harper, tell me about how you engaged with Instagram because all of you have these very, very distinct personas and you occupy these very specific spaces on Instagram for the dance world. So tell me about how your content creation came about.
2: Yeah. So I started Instagram off of the idea of, I thought it was where you shared what you were eating and, (laughs) you know, like, like what was around you. And it really was just, I thought it was like an extension of Facebook and to just share pictures But at the time when I started, there was an account on Instagram called Worldwide Ballet. And it was another discovery tool of looking into the amazing talents of ballet dancers. And I was able to see the tricks and the amazing feats that dancers could do. And I was like, wait a second, I dance for a company that has dancers right in front of me doing all these amazing things. And myself and my dancer friends were doing those things after class. And I was like, let me just film it. Let me start filming it in a different way. And so I did. And I mean, it's an amazing thing when you start getting attention for what you're doing because you're like, I'm a celebrity. Like people are loving it. Like (laughs) it's like crazy. And you're like, I need to give the people what they want. But like what Shelby was saying about having new eyes come to her page is exactly what I was realizing. It was like, oh my gosh, this is not my high school friend who's watching me anymore. This is not my parents' friend. This is not my coworker. This is someone in another country or another state who has tuned into what I have to say and what I'm doing. And I thought that was fascinating and I wanted to build on it. And social media and Instagram specifically has always been a discovery tool and a tool to connect. And I found that if I shared myself and what I liked, what I was interested in, in a creative way, I was connecting to more people that allowed me to turn the volume up on Harper. So I started doing it more. I found such a fantastic parallel between my social media and my dancing and having to use the two cohesively to become a better a better artist.
0: That's really interesting. I I do want to open that up because that's that's the nuance of the conversation. Min, tell us a little about your origin story because you have a dancewear line yep. that is absolutely hysterical and oh, sort of you. like all of you sort of feed in to one another, like the content and the way that you're looking at the dance world. Min, tell us.
3: Well, I didn't start, unlike these two amazing people, as a professional dancer. Obviously, I started ballet when I was a university student and it was just something that actually really helped me recover from my eating disorder. And then I thought there's nobody making fun ballet clothing for adult dancers. So for adults, so I'm just going to do that. And then how I got onto social media was that I actually had zero idea about running a business or how any of it worked. But I was always on social media before I was even social media. I was in like forums for like Lord of the Rings, fans and Live Journal and Tumblr and so I was like, I don't know anything about running a business but I kind of know what the online space is and I know that there is usually like a community for anything that you could ever be interested in. And so I think that's kind of how I started. I just made some t-shirts and put them out online and had a little tumblr where I made memes and things and had the shirts there as well and then I did it for like six months as a hobby i in university and when I finished university I was still recovering from anorexia and depression and I was still too sick to like work full-time and I was like um okay well maybe I'll try doing this thing for like six months or a year until I find a proper job and was like selling I guess these shirts online while making memes and stuff to gain to promote awareness of it. And then I just kind of kept on going and going and going until this point. That's like the Cliff's Note story of it. But the actuality is that it took a while. Took I love while how these
0: stories start with like no idea, <laughs> right? I had no idea. But I think that that's also like the internet space, right? Like somebody launches these apps, they're intended to work one way. And then when people, get a hold of them, the evolution of them becomes so fast that the way that they're used and the influence, right, that they have becomes like exponential because you can go all over the world in seconds. So Min and and Shelby, I want to talk a little bit about how you sort of poke fun at the world of perfection or the idea of perfectionism in dance and specifically in ballet, right? Like Shelby, you are contorting your body. As dancers, we all know what we see it, that sickled foot, the hopping on point, the bad port de bras, but you're making it, you're expressing what we all feel, an inadequacy that we all feel. Tell me a little bit about how that has been for your followers, healing, right, in that sort of connection.
1: So it was always something healing for me, doing this undoing of the ballet technique that... It's so easy to get consumed by perfectionism and trying to attain something. And I think of it kind of like when you're pointing your foot so hard, it feels good to flex it. Just like go in the reverse, undo a little bit, and then you can get back. And it's more comfortable working in that original direction again. And it's been so nice seeing the impact it's had on dancers, especially younger dancers, but also professional dancers, adult student dancers in a whole spectrum of where people are in the training experience, but especially from young dancers who have grown up in the social media age where everything is curated. And when I was growing up, I would compare myself to other kids at summer intensives because that's how I got a more global perspective of where do I lie in this competitive world? Do I have a chance of making it in this profession? And now, these young students are comparing themselves to people who've been able to edit, cut, filter, adjust, retake, do all these things to make sure they look their very best. And they're comparing themselves to that and not to the reality. So not just kind of having a sense of humor about it, but also incorporating things like bad photos of professional dancers or videos of dancers falling or videos of pre-professional students falling just kind of serves as a reminder that we're all human and you don't need to expect yourself to be perfect. And I love how much people have embraced it. And I get so much sent to me so many bad videos, so many bad photos. And I get comments like, I remember a few dancers, they'll send me once and they'll say, yeah, I fell down during this show and I wanted to cry, but then I remembered I could end up on falling Friday. And so then it turned into something that was like funny that they could laugh off. And I think that's so important because we are so human and so imperfect. We need to remind ourselves as often as we can that it's totally fine to not be the image of perfection that we expect of ourselves
0: oh, trust, there's endless content in <laughs> in yeah, that yeah. arena,
1: right? Because we're yeah. not
0: perfect.
3: but And that, rosin does not always work. Men, you were saying? Ballet an industry of perfectionists, isn't it? We, like, come to this, like, what other kind of person would willingly do the same exercises over and over and over again and be perpetually dissatisfied with it? It's like we enjoy the self-flagellation in some way.
0: Men, how have you healed from watching people really sort of, like, engage with your product, both the tactile ones of, like, the dancewear, but also the content that you're producing?
3: I guess for me, like, when I was saying ballet is an industry of perfectionist I think that's actually kind of why, in a sense, I'm attracted to this industry because I'm a perfectionist as well. But like Shelby said, I think people have always sort of compared themselves to the person next to them. Am I doing better? Am I doing worse? Especially when you're perfectionist and you have such high expectations of yourself. And I know how bad that made me feel. I remember when I was recovering, for example, and I would see everybody on Facebook, like posting how they were successful in their career or like relationships or whatever. And I was like, why is everybody so happy? And I'm the only one miserable. And then I started to realize that like, no, people only post the good things because it's easier to talk about good days than it is to be talk about bad days publicly. It's very difficult to be publicly vulnerable. And so it took a while for me to find my voice on Instagram, but I felt like it was really important to create, I guess a space where people who maybe felt the same way that I did when I was recovering know that they're not alone in the way that they're struggling with anything. And my mission has always been to create product and to create a space where people feel they can be accepted for who they are and they can be themselves and know that they are allowed to feel good and also to feel bad and that social media should be a place that is helpful for them and not something that brings them down because they're just always seeing something that is perfect, but it's not necessarily reality. And I think Harper and Shelby would kind of agree with that, because we do kind of try to keep it real.
0: I have such a love-hate relationship, I mean I think we all do, right, with social media because in one regard you can see so many inspiring things, right? In another regard it is so highly curated, and so I wrote an article about is Instagram changing the value system of the dance field because we see tricks and we see the hyper-flexibility and the fetishism. And so I think that there's an inspirational part of that, but then there's also the thing where like it's unattainable. I wonder how you all as creators, because you're not just, you're these online personas, right? But at least Harper and Shelby, you two are actually on the stage, right? And there's a re- reality that you're living in the art form. Does it play tricks on your head sometimes, Harper, you want to tell me? Like when you're scrolling through, you get in that vortex or that rabbit hole.
2: Well, I was just getting wrapped up in the conversation, listening to (laughs) Min and Shelby. I find this so interesting. (laughs) And it just, it had my brain thinking about this idea of perfectionism. And I think that when I got to Houston Ballet, the Academy, I was able to understand that I did have facility. I did have a extension and I had the qualities of making an ideal dancer, like the more, I guess the one that's more attainable, right? And so I was like, I have the technique, but what I lacked was the visibility of seeing a dancer who was of color and who was queer. And so it wasn't this perfectionism that the ballet world was giving me. It was telling me this is the standard for success as a male dancer that I did not have. So when I'm scrolling, I struggled to see dancers at the top who were like me. Mm -hmm. I saw ones that I I was like, my leg goes higher than that. Or like, I can move like that, but I don't look like them. And so having that mindset at that age, you know, I was 17, 18. It was tough. And having the courage to say, I'm going to put myself out there on social media was like the same idea of putting myself out there in the middle of the studio to say, I belong here. And so I struggled on both social media and career-wise of not seeing that portrayed. And that was my struggle. And I, th- and I think when I scroll on Instagram now and I see young dancers who are queer or having success who are BIPOC dancers, I'm like, work. <laughs> like, I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like like Get it. And I'm like, to me, I'm like, that's what I'm like. I don't know how you can say that social media. I understand the pros and cons of it. But especially as a queer BIPOC person with representation and visibility being so important, I can't imagine someone saying it's a negative thing in the sense where you can say, look, it, I see Harper or I see Calvin Royal or I see Marcelino Samba." You know, it's like... These are people who are living their authentic truths and they're killing the game. And that's inspiring to me.
0: I love the idea that social media, to a degree, barring the algorithms, right, that are not fair. I mean, the racism that exists in the world is the racism that exists in the algorithms and online. I love the idea that it can normalize any and everything because the more that you see things right the more that you like things that are outside of your norm you can scroll across and be like what is that like there are cultures there are people there are lifestyles that we might not have any idea right existed but in a second they're like literally at your fingertips at the same time I think that I think my concern and I am an auntie now right so auntie is concerned that with the high amount of editing Right. The idea that there are youngsters that are coming up that really don't understand the actual work that it, that entails. Right. And oftentimes professional dancers aren't posting the actual work. They're posting the product, which is awesome, but all the in-between stuff gets edited out. And so when they're faced with the real world of what dance is, then they're shocked. And then the other thing would be people are becoming famous on Instagram, but we're not necessarily seeing that product on stage. Like oftentimes it can take them away from the thing that made them famous in the first part. That's the part that concerns me. Ben, did you? I feel like you have something to say on that. I mean,
3: I just remember having conversations with friends and companies. They'd be saying, tell me, yeah, this dancer, maybe who has a prominent social media following, like you don't know, you know, he posts this picture of this amazing trick he does. And it is amazing, but you didn't, didn't see like the hundred takes he did to do it. So, I mean, I do agree with the fact that what you see on Instagram is people don't realize it's not the finished product. And what I do feel that like Shelby and Harper and I kind of do sometimes is I'm um, almost consciously trying to buck that trend by showing the real things and showing more of ourselves. But I'm also curious, if you don't mind me asking like the other two people, like, do you find that sometimes there's just when you put yourselves out there and you consciously try to. But the trend of only showing this polished feeling, do you sometimes worry that you're putting too much of you out there? Because like sometimes I will consciously talk about, say, what I struggle with, say, with my mental health over my business, because I think it's important to show people that social media is not just everything fancy and nice. But then sometimes I worry, am I putting too much of myself out there and having it just all be the me show? And I was wondering
0: if... So, Shelby, do you ever feel that... You're exposing too much of yourself to the public.
1: I do have questions about where is the limit for my privacy. So, for example, you will never see a picture of me with my family. You will never see a post that shares exactly where I am at that moment. I think that while it's great for dancers to share these sort of behind-the-scenes moments and a lot of the reality, if they can, I mean, you were talking about that it's true that maybe we don't always share the process and that's a problem and we can't just keep showing the products, but some people do share a lot of their personal life and they also do share the process and it can become very personal for me. It's always been, I do want my privacy because I get this feeling that when too many people see too much of my personal life, I know that's going to put expectation on me of how do I want to be perceived? Hmm. And I kind of don't want to care about it. And I don't want to feel pressure from the masses of judgment of any sort. So it's kind of why I keep things divided and, It's easier somehow to do that with dance because dance is judged all the time. You get reviews in the newspaper. You get commentary from your ballet masters all the time. So I really don't mind putting myself as a dancer up online. And so that's also why I don't mind showing like when things go wrong, because I want to set that expectation that people know kind of what my normal is, that if you come and see me in a show, you're not going to have this super high expectation of me because I've filtered down all my videos. And then you see me in a show and you're like, oh, she was better on Instagram.
0: And that has happened.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's has happened. happened. I've, I've gone to see things and, <laughs> and I hate that. And I also hate that I'm judging people so yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky, really- right?
0: I mean, Harper, do you ever fear like overexposure? Not in, in like being everywhere, but as personally as a human?
2: I don't know why, but I'm someone, If when I get into the studio, I really struggle with turning on the camera and filming a rehearsal. And there are dancers who I can see, who I follow on Instagram, who share all the rehearsals. They share all these clips and I find it such a distraction. I find it that like, I just can't, I'm like worried about the camera or I'm like, oh my gosh, like I rarely ever film my rehearsals. And I rarely ever show a lot of that on my social media. You know, I think it's, I share pictures of me dancing or a pose or, but there's not a lot of me doing like my job <laughs> as, as, much as, 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 much as, as much as people I think maybe would think. And I do know that I have people who appreciate ballet and love ballet and know ballet and know dancing, but I share my energy. I share my excitements, my interests, because I think that I thought that you couldn't be interested in the things that I'm interested in to be a classical dancer. And you couldn't watch The Real Housewives and be obsessed with RuPaul's Drag Race. You couldn't put on a pump. You couldn't do these things. Because it would have some effect on your career or your work ethic. And it doesn't. And so I share that. And so, yeah.
0: And so let me ask you another question because it's almost like you became like an unintentional, or maybe it was intentional, advocate, right, for LGBTQ, right? Like for non-binary dancers, for a lifestyle, for living openly and out loud and unabashedly. Was that just a byproduct of you? creating content? And then if, if so, then like, how do you put that backpack on and walk with it?
2: You know. Okay. Do we have the time? Here we go. Um.
0: <laughs> I want to get this. Good. <laughs> Let's do it.
2: Here we go. Here we go. I guess where I'll start is that this past year and a half really was a learning experience for me with the Black Lives Matter movement, with figuring out what to say as a Black queer dancer. I felt a responsibility, especially within my company, as the highest ranked Black dancer. I felt like I had this responsibility to be the voice of Black dancers in my company. I felt like I had to represent them all and I had to speak eloquently with management, with staff, with my boss. And it took a real toll on my mental state. It was a lot to navigate and it was a lot to... I felt like a huge burden on my shoulders. That was also put on by myself. And I think as a visible social media, Harper's Queer, we we get it. I felt the same thing. How are you advocating for the LGBTQ plus community? Do you always have to advocate for the LGBTQ? What are your thoughts on this? What are your opinions? Like what are you doing to use your platform? And over the past year and a half, I really have come to the understanding that I am the activism. I am the change by living my truth, working hard, waking up, eating right, so I can take ballet bar and do it really well is activism.
0: Yes, by holding space.
2: In, is, is full activism. And so to your question about the responsibility of being an advocate, I think that it came with, oh, this opportunity happened. I will take that and speak on it and then learn from that opportunity, right? I've done pride campaigns with Ralph Lauren and Matt Cosmetics. And I understand when they do the interviews that they love these words of authentic, unapologetic, living your truth. You know, I can give you that and I know that's what they want, but also doing the Nutcracker Prince for an audience at a 2 p.m. matinee is just as much activism as speaking and using my platform.
0: Absolutely. It's just, it's one of those things where you, you don't realize it as you're doing it, you're just being like, I feel the same way I fell into the work that I do. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's this responsibility. You can't necessarily back away from it, but it's everything, it it comes at you and you slay it as it comes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, the first 2015, my friend surprised me with giant pink stiletto heels when we were working out in the gym and I put them on with my best friend and we ran on a treadmill and the video went viral Probably because a lot of gay people and people who loved gay people, it resonated with them and they followed me. Now I have all these gay followers. Does that mean that I'm all of a sudden speaking on political like rights for gay people? I don't know. But all of a sudden, a lot of gay people followed me. And I was like, I want to keep making these videos. I want more people to follow me. And what you choose to continue to share, your followers are going to want more of that and demand more of that. So you have to consciously especially when you get a lot of numbers, you have to consciously be aware of what you're sharing because mm-hmm. I'm a Houston ballet soloist, first and foremost. I'm not a, a professional heel dancer. I just happen to be a professional ballet dancer who can run in heels on a treadmill. So <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not what I want to be known for. Nice. I could be the next Charlie D'Amelio on TikTok and have a whole page of heels. Right. But that's not what I, I wanna be known for.
1: Yeah, I wanted to add on to what Harper was saying. Yeah, it's a lot about how Teresa, you and I met. It's like, just because thousands of people follow you, that doesn't suddenly make you an expert on a subject. And you've got all these people listening to you and you're kind of like, what do I do with this? Cause I don't want it to go to waste. Like this is a possibility, it's a platform. We all wanna do good. I can maybe change people's opinions on things. I can make people aware of things. But also, if you kind of misstep or you, you say something and you didn't quite understand, also it means thousands and thousands of people hear you say that or see you do that. And so that's um, actually how Teresa and I met. So when the Black Lives Matter movement started revitalizing on social media, I thought, okay, I have this huge platform, and we know that in ballet— there are a lot of problems with racism on various levels. And a lot of them were also things that I think a lot of people maybe never even considered because they weren't in those shoes. And so I first started trying to bring in people and I was like, hey, okay, I'm going to reach out to dancers of color that I know and kind of let them talk and they can share it. And then it was really Teresa that Approached me and she said, like, also consider that you're kind of asking a lot of people to speak about their experience that could weigh heavy on them. And have you considered other ways also to help educate your audience? And there's so many problems in ballet, in the dance world in general, that I would love to talk about, but it's like, how do you approach it?
0: And you created, we created, what was it called? A study hall.
1: Study hall, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it, we were have everyone was having this discussion. Like, you, you got to do your homework, and Teresa, you came up with that name, and I love it. It was perfect, like way to kind of invite people to show I'm studying. You can study too. I found some interesting articles that were suggested to me. Maybe you want to read them. If y'all want to discuss together like a study hall, let's do that. I invite as an open table, whoever wants to join in my Instagram live, come join me. And I feel like that's been a, along with other things. So then I had, for example, I'm not a nutritionist. Brought in professional nutritionist one time also to do live Q&A that People can bring their questions forward, their concerns and things. And I think approaching social media that way as an open dialogue with people rather than preaching is a really great way to raise awareness of things that probably need a little bit more attention.
0: I think that's amazing. And I think that that's really the heart of not just this conversation, but the conversation around social media, because there is the reach is so broad. The impact can be so great and rapid. That there's a, a level of responsibility that when you're at home going like, oh, I'm just doing my thing, right? You don't necessarily think that that's going to become something. So now that you all have these amazing platforms, how do you see your platform evolving, right? Now that you're aware of the reach that you have, the influence that you have, obviously it does change. Like before you post, you're like, oh, wait, is that okay? Who is that going to affect?
3: How is that changing? I kind of see my platform evolving organically in a sense, of course, I do put a lot of thought into how I can use it to, say, help my business, obviously, because Clown Victory is a business, but and also how can I serve my community? But I've kind of never been super calculated about it because... The goal for me is always to kind of provide, like I said, a space that makes people smile and feel good and feel accepted when I didn't have that. And social media is always changing. So I evolve and move in whatever direction best helps me get out that message. But at the same time, for me, the most important thing is to keep that focus and be responsible again about how I use Instagram in like a positive way. And I guess however... My use of social media evolves. For me, it's very important to retain those core principles of why I do what I do and to do it with compassion. That's really important. Harper, Shelby, any thoughts on how your platform either
0: is evolving or you would like to evolve your platforms?
2: It's interesting because I feel like I do wear the hat of influencer. And I have a manager, a social media manager who helps with brand deals and I've created a way to have income through my social media. And I think because I have this career as a ballet dancer of balance and showing up to work every day for that and the stresses of rehearsal, I didn't get that lift. I need to build my stamina for that. It takes away from, oh, I I didn't do that post well, or it's a healthy (laughs) distraction from the world of social media. But where I see it going, I mean, I do, I'm obsessed with social media. Like, I love it. I love the fashion. I love the ideas of meeting new people and photo shoots and creating something and images. I love taking pictures and I love dancing to music and heels and doing it. Like, it's just like, when would I ever get to dance to house music the way that I do on stage? I would love to just continue to build. I just think that like, I think visibility is currency and the more eyes I can get on what I want to do, And it just will help to make that happen. And I I confidently trust my point of view and where I see my world going. And so I want elevation. I want more eyes. I want more traction because there's more that I want to do. And I think that the attention of that through my social media can help that.
1: I uh, kind of second Harper is, you know, dance is a healthy distraction from social media. I do not have a social media manager. I didn't even have a phone that video worked for the whole first year that I had Biscuit Ballerina. (laughs) I would ask my colleagues to film me on their good phones and email it to me. And I would pull up a tablet my grandma gave me and upload it to Instagram. And so mine's evolved because I have a phone that has video now. Uh Congrats. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) big step. Applause, Uh, applause. Also, it used to be the beginning, it was just me. I would literally go into a studio at the end of the day and in one take, like pick a variation and like do it, record it once. The first take was the first take. It was literally a minute and 30 second time commitment to create content. And I would cut it into a couple pieces and post a little piece each day and do the same thing the next week. And then I kind of got to the end of what variations I have memorized. <laughs> so then I had to put in more effort to like watch a video and <laughs> learn the choreography. But the fact that I'm still working as a professional dancer, that's my priority. Like Royal Opera Ballet Flanders that is where I get my greatest joy is rehearsing and performing with this group. So there was maybe a time when Biscuit Ballerina started growing that I felt this expectation of I have to post every day. People are expecting to see stuff from me, but actually I kind of made the choice that I wasn't going to make money off of this. Like maybe I could if I found some way and I hustled and I worked it, but I feel like as long as no one's paying me for any sponsored content, I owe no one nothing on social media. And like, I took a two month hiatus just recently. It's just like, I don't, I'm on vacation. I want to be with family. I don't owe anyone anything. And although I do like to make people laugh and do all these things, I also think I need to respect my needs as a person. And when I'm stressed at work and I need to invest extra time in the studio and I don't want to be staying up late trying to edit a video because I want the timing to be perfect with a fall and a accent in the music or whatever, I like that I can disconnect that way and be like, you know what, my real world life comes first. Maybe after my career ends, I can transition Biscuit Ballerina into being somewhat more of a business. And then, yeah, if I would dedicate a lot of energy and time and I would maybe have more of a plan of what to do with it. But right now it's quite improvised of, okay, opportunities come up, issues come up, and maybe an idea sparks. So it's like, okay, balance in life. Social media needs to also be balanced with the process in your personal, real world life of what you're doing.
0: I love that. Kids, listen to that. This has been an incredible conversation and I follow you all and I enjoy you all. And I think that I get a little giggle, you know, <laughs> at points Thank you so much. in my day. Does anybody have anything to say in closing? We'll, we'll make it like a Quaker meeting if, there, if there's anything on your heart.
1: There's just one other thing I've found to be really interesting as kind of the dangers of social media that I think we could be aware of. I think teachers especially should maybe be aware of is over the years, I always teach in my hometown or I teach around at kind of small dance schools in the U.S. And I've noticed a change in the way that students approach class. That used to be that When I would give a correction or say something, people would be trying it as I was saying it. And then slowly over the years, I kind of saw kids not really trying it on the spot as I was giving feedback. And I thought, oh, that's kind of strange. And I said, maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe this group just isn't as interested in ballet. Maybe they're not as, you know, like correction hungry as I was as a kid. And then one day after class, I saw the kids sticking around and trying all the pirouettes, and trying all the jumps, and trying all the balances, but recording themselves. And then I saw a bunch of them start adding me on social media, and I saw that their Instagram page was so confident, and it was filled with nothing but photos and videos of themselves dancing. And I realized people are starting to be afraid of failing because of how much they edit themselves online. And that's really impacting your ability to grow. Like you have to fail to grow and you need to be comfortable failing in a studio and a studio needs to be a safe space. And that kind of reminds me going back to what Harper said about he doesn't like having people filming rehearsals because suddenly he's aware of the camera. And I think it happens in maybe ballet schools and companies that people film themselves in class and rehearsal. But I look at, for example, especially the commercial dance scene where being filmed in a class is so important and it's always a show and you're always trying to look your best. And I kind of question like, how can we help people get away from that and understand again that the studio is a safe space to fail so that we can learn from our mistakes rather than it being a place where you don't wanna show yourself off and you'd rather have your private moment to practice on your own and then only show the final product.
0: Thank you. That is gonna have to be our final word, and I love that as a final word because it goes back again to the heart of what we do, which is the dance. With that, I would like to thank you for joining us. Making a Scene is a product by Esplanade, Theaters on the Bay, Singapore's National Performing Arts Center. The theme music is more than we know from the album Sea Monster by the Steve McQueens, a band supported by Esplanade under the Mosaic Associate Artists Initiative. Look for more episodes of Making a Scene at esplanade.com slash offstage and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations with art makers. Thank you.